Hey, hey. So, take your Bibles. I love our Christmas presentation. They're always so creative. So, hey, I hope you're having a good morning. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 2. We are continuing our study through the book of Luke. You know, here's, here's the challenge we have this morning in some ways. It's reading a passage you've read a million times. And matter of fact, you've read it so many that as I start to read it, your mind will start to glaze over. You'll be like, yeah, I know the story. We read it every year. We read it all the time. I've heard it ever since I was little. I, I want to encourage you to listen afresh and anew. Listen Listen as if you're hearing it for the first time. Listen as if you don't have the light of life lighting your life. And this message changes everything. So take your Bibles and as you're looking at Luke 2, I'm going to start in verse 8. 8 of verse 2, Brad and Michelle read most of this for you earlier. Uh, but I want to read it again and listen to it. And listen to it afresh again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. <clears throat> so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That Christmas story that we've read so many, many, many times. I want to focus on a couple of aspects of it afresh and anew. Today in the Advent series, we're looking at the idea of proclamation, the proclaiming of the good news. And there are several groups that we see proclaiming in this passage. The first is the angels. The angel comes and says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you what? Good tidings, good news, the gospel. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, good leading to great, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we see the angel <clears throat> proclaim to the shepherds. The shepherds go and find for themselves. They then go and share with everyone who will listen that this has happened. And everybody is amazed at this good news. There, this is the proclamation of the good news. It's the proclaiming of this message that a Savior has been born, and he is Christ the Lord. I want to do something a little maybe unusual. I want to, I want to look at this story and really some implications of the story that we proclaim, along with a passage out of Paul from 2 Corinthians. So we've got this good news that has implications for us today. To understand that the Christmas message carries over to who we are, what we are. And so Paul says this, if you really receive the message of the good news, the glad tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, it'll change the way you live. It'll change your purpose. It'll change your destiny. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we may be made right with God through Christ. We are his ambassadors. He is making his appeal through us. The message, he, this is probably the point, big idea for the whole morning. The angels are the messengers of God saying to the shepherds, a savior has been born. Today, we each are angels or ambassadors, or messengers. It is now our job to proclaim to the world around us that a Savior has been born. The angelic visitation like this, proclaiming the birth of the Savior and the coming of Christ, it is a unique historical event as far as we know. But now, the glory that was with the angels is with you and me. And we get to go out and proclaim it. And see, I think for most of us, we don't think in these terms. We don't really grasp this unbelievable message that we are his ambassadors. We speak for Christ whenever we say, come back to God. He's making his appeal through us. What does that mean? I want to look at four implications. First is this, the joy of the incarnation. I, I know incarnation always sounds like this theological term, but the idea that on that day there was born to them in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, there's this implication in here that God has become man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus is fully God and fully man. And this joy that they're proclaiming is that God has now come to earth as a baby, but he's come. And it's changing everything. It is, it is good news of great joy that God has come. Now, think about this. For many people, the fact that God could come to earth is not really great joy. I mean, really, for a lot of people, if you think about it, oh, a God has come, or the God has come, it is a, it is a message of fear. It's a message of judgment. It's a message of, uh-oh, we better get things straight. Or I'm so far off the path, I'm never going to get it straight. Therefore, it's a fearful message. But instead, there's joy here because God was in, in Jesus. For God was in Christ. And we are now in him. We'll see that more in just a moment. It says in Colossians, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You know, we, our minds blow when we think about this hypostatic union, as it's called. I just like throwing that out like I know something. This, uh, this truth that, that, God, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We, we don't understand all that it is and how that can happen. But in Jesus, all the fullness of God, all of it, was in, was in him. Now, this is a joy because we'll see some of the other implications in a minute. But one of the truths is this, that Hebrews says, for we don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus. You know, Jesus is born. He lives perfect, sinless life. He dies, is crucified on the cross. He is risen again. Hallelujah. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve one who's alive, risen to the right hand. Uh, risen to the heavenly realms at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us now. So what kind of high priest, so to speak, what kind of person who's making intercession? It is a person. That's the key, according to Hebrews. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but because God became a man, fully God, fully man, in bodily form, we have a high priest who can sympathize. He knows you. He knows what it's like to be human. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Here's the first truth I want you to see in the joy of the incarnation. We proclaim God is for you. God is for you. Unfortunately, many times, we don't say to the world, God is for you. Do we? We tell them God is against them. God is coming for them. God hates them. God hates them because they sin. God hates them for a particular sin. God hates them because of who they are. And the Bible, it is full of this message. God loves people. God loves people so much that he sent his only son to this earth to die on our behalf. There is joy in the incarnation. There's a stupid movie, really stupid, and I do not recommend movies ever. But um, there's this movie where Will Ferrell was playing this NASCAR race car driver, Billy Bobby. 
Billy something. Ricky Bobby, thanks. <laughs> Billy Bobby, Ricky Bobby, you know, it's one of those making fun of Alabama double names. Uh, Ricky Bobby, but Ricky Bobby only liked to pray to the baby Jesus. So whenever he prayed, he would say, baby Jesus, help us here. Baby Jesus, help us there. And somebody said to him, why don't you pray to grown-up? No, I just love the baby Jesus. Why? Because for many of us, the baby Jesus in the manger is just, we, it's a disconnect that the baby Jesus is actually fully God and not just a baby. But because Jesus grew up and to be a man and was tempted in every way and died a sinless death, falsely accused and was risen from the dead, we have life. There's joy in the incarnation. There's not fear there. Because of the joy of the incarnation, we have a joy of relationship. Relationship with God. It says in Luke, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace to men. Well, how, what, what kind of peace is in this? In other words, when we think of peace, we always think of, uh, you know, in every beauty contest, what do you want? World peace. World peace, that's what I want. As if that were possible. Because we think peace comes when men get along. But God says ultimate peace only comes when God and man can get along. Peace is not what you and I have between one another. I mean, there is an element of that. But ultimate peace comes when we have peace with God. How do the angels proclaim peace, peace on earth, peace to men? Because God has come. God has come, and he's going to restore peace. He's going to restore the opportunity because ultimately because of sin and in our little uh, presentation this morning, our children told us about it. I mean, the, the powerful truths in the simple presentation are unbelievable. That man sinned, and as a result, now we are at war with God because of our sin. But because of what Jesus has done, he has come to restore our relationship. For God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling. I'm, still, I'm going back to 2 Corinthians. Reconciling. Well, what are you reconciled to? I mean, if there's reconciliation, that implies it's about a relationship, right? So me and my wife, is that good English? My wife and I, me, me and the little woman, uh, I'm talking like uh, Ricky Bobby now. Um, Kathy and I have been married for a long time. We have certain ways of doing things. Now, it's funny how certain little things in the way we do things over multiplied billions of times becomes really irritating. I mean, it's really nothing if you think about it. But after a while, when it happens and that little thing occurs, it's just like, mm, I just don't like that. <laughs> now, I know you're more spiritual than I am. But I'll just give you one example. <laughs> you know, with the creation of cars and fancy cars now, 
Everybody's got their own thermostat in the car, right? It's, it's a stupid thing to me. Jerry Seinfeld has this whole bit on it, like the air over here is not going to mix with the air over here, so you can just do whatever you want to on the two different thermostats. But it's like that. But Kathy has this habit, and some of you may be like this, and I'm not going to fault you, though you're incredibly wrong. Um, <laughs> Kathy has this habit of when she gets in the car, let's say it's a little chilly in the car, and the thermostat on her side is set to 68. Now see, even a reasonable person <laughs> would say, I desire the temperature to be 71. Ding, ding, ding. Pull it up to 71. It's going to be there. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's turn that thermostat up to 84. As if on the way to 84, it won't pass the optimum temperature of 71. Oh, it's going to get hot faster, you think? No, it's not going to get hot faster. But there's something in the turning of that dial up to 84 that just makes her feel better. <laughs> and so I have learned over the years that it really doesn't help our relationship very much to say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Why in the world do you do that? Inside, I'm just like, that's the stupidest thing. Why does she keep doing it? I have to learn to live at peace. So I silently reach over and turn it back down to 71. And I usually get, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're not going through this again. <laughs> Reconciliation has to do with relationship. God is reconciling the world to himself. And do you think God doesn't look down at you? I, I, I don't know that he does, but let's just say that there is... We believe in a God who knows everything, and he looks at you doing your thermostat deal, saying, oh, what an idiot. <laughs> what a dummy that guy is. In our own ways, somehow God loves us. God not only created us, but he's reconciling us to himself because he wants to have a relationship with you. Many of us think, God can save the world, and yes, I get to go to heaven rather than hell, but the incredible truth that God wants to have a relationship with you is overwhelming to many people, so that they short out and think of biblical truths and terms rather than to think about, how can I have a relationship with God today? Because that's what Jesus came to do. See, now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Relationship with him. You know, Paul, if you look at his life, he was a teacher, he was a Pharisee, he was at war with the church, he was far from God, but Jesus came to him and then he, he, he changes his life and rather than being at war with God, trying to kill the people that he thought God wanted killed, he now comes into a relationship with this God who was born in a manger, 
and live that life. And it's why he can say later, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Can you say that in your life? Everything else is worthless. It's rubbish. It's no good. Compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. Listen, if you don't know Christ, you don't know that infinite value. you got to know him to know. And if you do know him, how are you putting everything else in perspective? For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, refuse, so that I can gain Christ. Listen, it's just not, Paul is not saying, people, let's put God first and then my job a close second, my family a close third, and then this a close fourth. He says, God, poop, basically, refuse, rubbish. I mean, that's really the word he's using. It's, it's just nothing. It's stuff you get rid of, not stuff you keep. Garbage. Jesus, garbage. That's everything else. That's how much he was in love with Jesus. That's how intimate his relationship with Jesus was. See, we know that not only is God for you, but God is with you. With you. It's one thing to be on someone's side, but it's another thing to be by their side and with them through the process. Okay, third truth is this out of here, is the joy of forgiveness. The joy of forgiveness. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a what? Savior. Savior. What do we need a Savior for? Because we're sinners. We need someone to save us. We have forgiveness of our sins, and this is found in Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this, For God was in Christ, reconciling the word to them himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. How can we, our sins not be counted against us? Well, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be right with God through Christ. Great news, you're forgiven. I mean, it should cause something to well up inside of you to say you're forgiven. I'm forgiven. Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. Here's the unbelievable truth. Because of what Christ has done and you've received Christ, your sin is taken care of. Great, Pastor. I know all my past sin is taken care of. That's great. No, no. It's taken care of past, present, and future. Your future sin is taken care of. That sounds a little too good to be true, doesn't it? My future sin is taken care of. You know, all the things I'm going to do bad, what if I do some really bad things? Oh, you will. You will do some bad things. But you know what? Sin is sin. In God's sight, sin is sin. Dirt is dirt. Sin is sin. And God is already, because you are in Christ, your sin is forgiven. You know, it's this thing about how much more in Christ than I 
can get than I am right now. Well, from a theological standpoint, you are in him no matter what. You can't be more in Christ, and he can't be more in you. Therefore, you can't be more forgiven in the future than you are now or were in the past. Now, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. feel like you've been slapped around. What is he saying? You're forgiven. This should be cause for great joy that you are forgiven of your sins. Now, does Paul, he goes on in Romans, by the way, and says, so if that means that God's grace increases when sin abounds, does that mean I should keep on sinning so I get more grace? Heck no, he says. Don't be a dummy. That's my interpretation. Don't be an idiot. In other words, don't presume on God like saying, I can do anything. Listen, I, I've had this thrown at me before by people who are supposed to be believers, and I'm going to trust they were. Kind of like, I know that to leave my wife is wrong and go away with this other person. But you know what? God's going to forgive me. I'm going to do what I want, and God will forgive me. And I said, you know, inside, theologically, I believe what you're saying is true, but I would encourage you not to presume on God. Not to press into God because the price you're going to pay for willingly disobeying and being disobedient is going to be huge. But you're still forgiven. I wouldn't forgive you. It's just me. Yeah, I'd hold it against you. But God is incredible. His forgiveness is unmeasurable. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave how many of your sins? He forgave all your sins. Not only that, he canceled the record. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. People, you are not only knowing that you've got a God who's for you and a God who's with you, but also a God who's forgiven you. Finally, and this is where the proclamation, this is what's been proclaimed over you and in you and to you. But not only that, but you get the opportunity now to share this gospel with the world around you. When the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said, let's do nothing, man. That was just incredible. Let's just sit here by the fire, take care of the sheeps, enjoy our night. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy the fact I saw an angel and no one else did. I'm going to keep it to myself. Well, of course not. They said, let's go. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They heard, they saw, they shared. They heard it, the message, they received it, they went and saw, they experienced, and then they shared it with the world around them. You know, almost nobody else is going to get 
the privilege of what they saw and their experience. But because it was the shepherds and they shared the angels, the baby, people were amazed. We don't know the impact of the shepherd's message on the exact people they were sharing it with, but they were amazed. And who knows, when the baby, Jesus, grows up and comes back 30 years later and begins to minister in the area, hey, you think this is that baby that the shepherds told us about? Who knows? I have no way to really understand all the implications. But I know this, that the word of God has power if we'll share it with those around us. Back in Corinthians, again, I've been combining these two passages all morning. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He's given it to you because we are now Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Here's the message of Christmas that I'm trying to get us to kind of get a hold of a little bit today. That God is, God is for you. He's not, he, he, he's so for you that he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to become a baby. God took on human flesh. Listen, we, we need that. But not only is he for us, he's with us because he's become our savior. He's forgiven us. And now he's made us his ambassadors. It, it, here's, I'm not sure if you're catching me, the flow. Let me see if I can tie it again together. This flow is such that you get to see that you were created. God made you, God saved you, and God has a purpose for your life. Many people are wandering through life purposelessness, with purposelessness. They have no purpose. <laughs> they don't understand their purpose, why they're here and what they're supposed to be doing. This to me is tragic. That we don't wake up every morning saying, God has given me another day to be his ambassador in this world. I am representing, representing him to the world today. Hallelujah. Now, truthfully, I, I wish I woke up like that every morning. Instead, it's like, oh, what have I got to do today? What have I got to get done? Oh, man, Sunday, it's coming again. I got to preach again this week. Or I got this meeting or that meeting. Or this is going on. Or these people are having this problems. God, give me grace. No, no, I, I should wake up every morning of every day, and so should you, saying, God made me. God redeemed me. God gave me a purpose. Now, some of you are saying, what is my purpose? What is my special purpose in life? It's not a movie, by the way, but what is my special purpose in life? Here's your special purpose. Represent God to the world. That's it. Go be his ambassador. Now, in that, you'll find a lot of implications, but there are so many ways you can, you can do that. Ask God for creativity about how to represent him to the world around you. 
Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's a lot of all and always going on there. All my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You, you've been given a purpose, and God is carrying it on. And so in all of my prayers for all of you, with all joy, I pray that it will be brought to completion. That you will be, we will be, his ambassadors to the world around us. Because, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. We've got a Savior, Christ the Lord. We proclaim God is for us. God is with us. He forgives us. And we get to proclaim God's good news to the world around us. week ago, I was at KP's 80th birthday. Happy birthday, KP. I love you, bro. 80th birthday party a, a week ago last Saturday. And he's got a daughter who's married to a guy who's a really nice guy. And this guy has a sister. And it's complicated. But it's just normal life, right? So I don't even know what she is. She's KP's daughter-in-law something. I don't know. Niece. Anyway, Tim, KP's son-in-law, his sister comes up to me at this party, and I'm introducing myself. I don't really recognize her. I'm introducing myself, and she goes, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, oh, great. It's good to, because, you know, I'm here, you're there. Sometimes people there know, I mean, I could be in a store, and somebody, hey, Pastor Barton. I'm like, oh, hey. I know most of you, but every so often it's like somebody from 10 years back will say hi, and they're standing next to the Cheerios, and I'm like, excuse me, hi, could you move? I need to get the Cheerios. <laughs> so, but anyway, she came up to me, and she was like, I know you, and she said, I, there was a message that you preached on Christmas Eve 1998 or 9, and she said, it so impacted my life that I went on the mission field God changed my life. God did this work in my life. And she was going on. I was like, in my head, do you, do you know what I'm thinking? What was it I said on Christmas Eve? <laughs> I'm trying to think back. And she came back and she said, it was a message on the manger. Do you remember that message on the manger? No, I got nothing. I, told, I just said to her, no, I got nothing. And she said to me, it was about how God takes something totally ordinary and uses it and then it becomes extraordinary just because God touches it. I'm like, that is a good message. I may use that one again. <laughs> that is good. And she goes, I realized God could use me. That's the message of Christmas. Because God is with you, because God is for you, because God forgives you, because God's given you a destiny, you are really just an ordinary manger, but God can use you for his glory. And you never know when the world will be changed because you are willing to serve him. There's a little town in Texas called Andrews, Texas. It's over in the panhandle below Lubbock, 
west of Abilene somewhere. It's, it's a town of about 14,000 people. Not a very big town. Um, a couple of weeks ago, really in the month of November, their, their football team was playing another small town, and they were headed over to it. The band, the Mighty Mustang Band, was headed over to, to play. There's probably 100 in the band. So there was 25 on this bus when a truck coming the wrong way down the highway hit the bus head on. The bus driver and the band director were killed. No other students were killed, but many were injured. Their instruments were destroyed. It was, I mean, you know, a small town, a tragedy like this, your longtime band director is killed. It, it, it has an incredible impact. The Mustang Band, their big deal every year was playing in the Christmas parade for their small town. They would dress up in with lights on their instruments and Christmas sweaters. And there's about 100 in the band, as I said. And it, was the, it was really the highlight. They practiced for a, at least a month getting the Christmas songs ready, marching through town. You know, it's a small town, but it's a big deal, the Christmas parade. This year, the people who organized the parade said, you guys probably don't want to do this with the death of your band director and instruments damaged. There's a lot of instruments that couldn't be used and they said, no, no, we want to do it in honor of our, our band director. Well, somehow word got out to all the surrounding towns that the Mustang band was going to march, but they didn't have enough instruments. Could they borrow some instruments for their parade? On December 3rd, just last week, almost 1,500 other band members from surrounding communities showed up to march with the Mustang band. Through it was almost as many people as they have in the town showed up to support them in their moment of need. All dressed in their Christmas sweaters, lights going on. It was just, they just wrapped basically around the city, this whole big band from 33 different high schools joined in to participate. Now, this story is very moving to me. I, I, I Honestly, I got misty when I read about it this morning, when I saw the news report. I mean, it just really moved me how people step in to help other people. Today, our hearts are going out to those in Kentucky who have who've been devastated. I saw churches just totally annihilated and places of business and homes and lives lost. Our, our, our hearts go out to them. And, and I, want, I want us to be always sympathetic to the need of those around us. But the Christmas message is this. God has met you at the point of your greatest need. You, need. you need forgiveness. You need to be restored to God. We need to have life with one another. That's the message we get to proclaim every moment of every day. Many of us are disappointed here at Christmas. There's joy that's being robbed of us because we, we have unmet expectations. I was kidding with my staff sort of a little over a week ago. I got all bent out of shape with them a little bit. Um, and I'm not saying they did anything wrong. What they didn't do was meet my expectations, which, by the way, I had never shared with them. <laughs> Isn't that the worst do you ever find yourself at sometimes getting mad at someone because they don't meet your expectations and they don't even know they're 
They don't even know if it's an expectation on your part. But many of us, we've been, for me, it's like the quickest joy robber. That's why I listed it number one. My joy can get gone in a second if my expectations aren't met. And you know what? I have to be honest. Most of my expectations have nothing to do with godliness and holiness. They have to do with me. My own selfish ambitions in the world. Well, that's just me. Unrepentant sin. Sorry, I've lost. Could you help me here, Zach? Go on. You're going to have to carry me the rest of the way. Unrepented sin. The next one, unresolved conflict is a joy robber in your life. And finally, unfulfilled destiny. Not doing what God has called you to do. I, here's my deal. I think if we're not sharing the gospel or looking for opportunities to share the gospel, every single one of you, you may say, I'm not an evangelist. It's not about you being an evangelist. It's about you sharing the good tidings of great joy, which is here for all people, all the time. Just sharing. Not being obnoxious about it, but sharing with the world around you. Your destiny will be fulfilled in him. Let me close with this quote from Spurgeon. He says this, Rejoice, you who feel that you are lost. Your Savior comes to seek and save you. Be of good cheer, you who are in prison, for he's come to set you free. You who are famished and ready to die, rejoice that he has consecrated for you a Bethlehem, a house of bread. By the word, that's what the word Bethlehem means, house of bread. A house of bread, and he has come to be the bread of life to your souls. Rejoice, O sinners everywhere. For the restorer of the castaways, the savior of the fallen is born. Lord, we thank you for this message of life this morning. We pray that, God, you would, you would help, us, help us to really grasp the truth that you are with us. You're for us. You've forgiven us. And you've given us the privilege to share with the world around. Our destiny is wrapped in you. We consider everything else rubbish to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. Lord, may we share that surpassing greatness of knowing you with the world around us so that they too will know you. Lord, may this message that the restorer of the fallen has come so that when we see someone who's fallen, we can share with them the good news that they can be restored. Holy Spirit, ignite in us a flame to be proclaimers of this good news. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.